Today we're in, the, in our series and going through the book of Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today, as Corinda just read, and I want to begin by giving a confession. I do not use Google Maps. I trust Apple Maps entirely, entirely, okay? I rely exclusively on Apple Maps, and the reason this is important is the next part of my story, and I don't use Waze. I use Waze like every now and then. Um, but the, the next part is important because some of you may not relate with that because it's an Apple Maps story. So when you use Apple Maps and you're mapping a destination, it gives you multiple route options. I think Google Maps does this too. But it gives you multiple route options. And sometimes the top route, and I don't totally understand why this is, but the, the route that they recommend is not the fastest route. So you get like 16 minutes and then 15 minutes and then sometimes another 16 minutes. And I'm like, why would you not put the fastest route first? And I just get super... Frustra frustrated about that because I don't understand the algorithm. Why give me the slower option? And then the other frustrating thing is you get two or three options and they're all the exact same ETA. It's all the exact same time. It gets 16 minutes, 16 minutes, 16 minutes. And then I sit there and I go, well, which one do I want to take? And I spend like a couple minutes trying to figure out which one I should take, <laughs> which is ironic because I could have just started driving any route and it would have got, gotten me there faster. Um, the other frustrating thing is when I don't use my phone to navigate, and some of you don't understand that because you always use your phone to navigate, but when I already know the way back home and I don't use my phone to navigate and then I hit traffic and I'm like, man, I should have used my phone because then I would have known exactly what the ETA is. And some of you are nodding because you're like, that's why you always use your phone so you know you have traffic. Okay, and then the other part is, and this is the thing, this is the game that I always play and I think most of you, probably most guys play this game where you try to beat your ETA, right? You try to beat your ETA, and you feel good if you beat it by a minute, but you feel amazing if you're like two or three minutes faster than what the ETA is. But the most discouraging thing I would say is especially if you're like, let's say going to Tahoe, and you're going on a Friday afternoon, and that ETA keeps changing. It keeps getting later and later and later. And the more you drive, the later it gets. It's just crazy. It's super, super discouraging. And so what does that have to do with what I'm talking about today? Well, we've been journeying through this book, and I'm not trying to say there's going to be an ETA. There is an ETA when we finish this book. It's not going to feel like it's going forever. It's not going to keep increasing. Um, but as we journey through the book of Romans, one of the things you're going to understand in this book is this idea of works, okay, and works of the law. And what I've, what I've defined law to be is like a system of rules and regulations, Okay, law is a system of rules and regulations, and particular to the book of Romans, law is the Old Testament or Old Covenant, the rules and regulations that God gave the Jews, okay, part of the Mosaic household. And I just want it to be understood that when I say law, I mean both. When, when Paul mentions law in the book of Romans, he means in particular the Jewish laws and regulations, but he also means more broadly the system of rules and regulations for for all of us, for moral, a type of moral code. And moral codes operate everywhere in our society. So for instance, I mentioned last week in the mock household, like you eat all your food or you die, right? And there's also this law of physical fitness. Everyone in our house, we stay in shape. Like that's actually a really important part of what it means to be um, the law of the mock household, right? And so, um, and then there's kind of consequences if you follow the works of the law and just like when you follow your um, Apple Maps, there is an, you get a reward for it, right? And that's what I'm going to say in this first section of Romans 4, 1 through 4. So the first thing you'll notice 
as we start this chapter, it says, "One then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh. Now, what John pointed out in his sermon and repeated, and we're going to be repeating throughout our journey in this book of Romans, is that Paul is addressing two groups of people. On one one hand, he's addressing the Jewish Christians, those who understand the Mosaic law. And then on the other hand, he's addressing Gentile Christians or Roman Christians, those who are not Jewish. Okay, and so he's addressing those two groups of people in in this book that is this letter to the church in Rome. Okay, and with those two groups of people, he is now focusing on one group in particular because he's referencing Abraham. And Abraham is a forefather, is what we call a patriarch in the Jewish faith. Okay, and so he's saying, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And he's now addressing the Jewish audience. And so in verse 2 it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, and justify, if you remember, our definition was to be declared innocent and to be given honor. If Abraham was justified, declared innocent, and given honor by his works, by the things that he does, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, as to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So as I mentioned, he's talking to Jewish Christians right now, and he's talking about what do they get to boast in? Because the thing about being Jewish is that you get to boast in something, right? There's something great about being Jewish. And because the gospel comes first to the Jews. By the way, if you're a Christian, Christianity came out of Judaism, so you, for a lot of centuries, they thought of Christianity as a Jewish cult because in Romans 1.16, it says um, the, uh, the gospel, the good news, is salvation for all who believe. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So the, the Jews get salvation first, right? They receive salvation first. And then it says in verse 1, forefather according to the flesh. Like he's basically saying, like, what do we do with Abraham? Right? What do we do with Abraham? Because Jews are descendants of Abraham. What's really important here is there's this biological ancestry that goes back to Abraham, this patriarch. And he's saying, well, there's something significant about having that ancestry. It's actually a really big deal. And so the way to think about Abraham is that he is like, what was my, what's my metaphor here? Um, Abraham is like George Washington and like Obama and like Abraham Lincoln, all wrapped up into one. He's like a whole bunch of different significant political figures all wrapped up into one, one person. And he's that significant in the life of faith for Jews. And so what Paul is saying here is there's something about Abraham that we need to address because what happens for those who are not Jewish and are not descended from Abraham? And that's where Paul introduces this idea of works. And so let me go back to, let me just get this idea of, in verse four, it says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So you, to go back to my analogy, when you use Apple Maps, when you use Google Maps and you get an ETA, that's a promise, right? It's, it's kind of a promise to you. It's kind of like a wage. Like if you follow those instructions, then you get that estimated time of arrival. That's your target. And I think in any religious system, and even non-religious system, there's a wage, there's something you deserve. So for instance, if you work at a company, you might do something like objectives and key results, right? OKRs, right? Who does, anybody do that? Anybody do OKRs? Okay, so you do objectives and key results. 
And you set those out, I don't know, the beginning of the quarter, beginning of the year, and then you're evaluated based on how well you do on those objectives and key results. That's your ETA. And if you hit, the, if you hit that target based on those specific rules that have been laid out for you, then you get a bonus. You get compensated for it. That compensation is what we call a wage. And so what Paul is saying here is when you live by rules and regulations, and it could be within a religious system, it could be like within a company, then you get a wage. You get a result for it. You get that ETA. But what Paul is saying is that faith does not work like that. Faith is received as a gift. It's not something you earn. And that's kind of this wild idea. And what the rest of the book of Romans is going to explore is how that operates. But what we're going to do is look at the life of Abraham and and understand what that means. Okay, so this is how the book of Romans is different. Our Christianity is different. There's absolutely a system of rules in Christianity. Absolutely a system of rules. But at the core of the Christian life, okay, at the core of the Christian life, it's given as a gift. So those rules actually don't matter. Okay, so there is an ethic. There are certain things that we live, how we live as Christians. But the basis of everything is that we receive faith as a gift. It is received to us as a gift. We know God as a gift for us. And so let me go backwards into Romans 3.27. I don't have the verses. Um, I, I won't have the verses on the screen. But in Romans 3.27, it says, Then what becomes of our boasting? And it says, it is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works. And this is where I want to just take a minute and talk about this idea of being an immigrant. Okay, being an immigrant. Because what we're going to see is Abraham is kind of like the first immigrant, right? There were other refugees um, in the book of Genesis. But Abraham is kind of like the first immigrant because he's looking for a better land. He's looking for, he's, he's called by God to look for a better land. And so what we notice As an immigrant, for me, as a child of immigrants, what I've noticed for myself, because I came here earlier than some other more recent immigrants, that it's easy for me to feel superior in that. In fact, um, when I was a kid growing up, there was a name that we called um, Chinese immigrants who came more recently than I did, who like grew up in Taiwan or Hong Kong and China, and we would call them fresh off the boat. Okay, that was the term. Or we just called them fob for short. We call them fob. And we would look down on those who came more recently because we just thought, you know, their traditions were backwards. They didn't understand Western culture, right? And I think what Paul is doing in this book is what he's saying is, it doesn't matter when you immigrated into the faith. Okay, because Abraham is like the first immigrant and the Jews were descendants of the first immigrant. So they, they have like this privileged status as God's chosen people. But what Paul is saying here is it doesn't matter when you immigrated to the country of faith. It doesn't matter when you immigrated to the promised land. It makes no difference. What matters is that you accepted an invite to the party. Okay. What matters is you said yes in faith, that you had had the faith of an immigrant. That's what matters. It's not when you came. Okay. And that's the whole point of what Paul is doing in Romans 4. He's talking about what it means to be an immigrant in faith. Okay. Now let's keep reading. Verse 9 of chapter 4. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go back to verse 5. I didn't read verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And this is what we just read earlier that Grant had us read from Psalm 32, 1 and 2, that the beauty of having one's sins forgiven. And the best way I can describe this is when you get a credit to your account. And that credit to your account is not because of, some, of money you earned. It's not an EFT payment you know, from your company, but it's just you're just given a credit on your account. And it could be a mistake, whatever. It's just you're given a credit on your account, and it had nothing to do with you. That's what it means to be credited with righteousness, that you are declared innocent, and it didn't have to do with your own good behavior. It was not based on your merit. And that is something that what, um, and what Paul is doing here is he's saying that is not a new idea. This is not a new idea that you can be credited based on righteousness. Because even though within the Old Testament, there were a bunch of rules and regulations, even the greatest king, King David, talks about having faith. He talks about being forgiven. He talks about a forgiveness that has nothing to do with, with yourself. And so that is a theme throughout scripture. Now let's move into uh, verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who, was, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So let's just pause for a second. And let me just ask this question. In the verses I just read, what word is repeated the most? Circumcision, circumcision. So that is like the major kind of theme in this passage. And what I just want to say is it's kind of funny that it's major theme because what Paul ultimately is saying is circumcision is not very important. So he repeats this word so many times that you're like, wow, this must be a really important idea. But at the end of the day, what he's really saying is circumcision is not important. Okay. But let's first talk about what is circumcision. It is the circum circumcised means to cut around. It means cutting the foreskin of the penis. Okay. And you can do that at various stages of a boy's life. And generally I would say the earlier, the better. Okay. The younger you are when it happens, the better because it you're able to get used to the impact and you really don't know what's going on. So the best probably the time to do this is when you're a baby. Now I've heard about all kinds of traditions Within our life group, we talked about, I guess, in the Philippines, they do it at 11 or something like that. And it's like kind of this crazy thing. Someone's nodding over here. Um, and so there's, this, there's just very, a lot, of, a lot of tradition around circumcision. Um, what I want to say is when we, when we get to Abraham, which who we're going to talk about, he got circumcised when he was 99. Okay. That's probably the oldest recorded circumcision. And some of you are looking at, yeah, like, wow, that's, yes, it's a very, very painful um, you know, thing that happens there. Okay, and so let's, let's just keep that in mind as we, as we talk about this. And so the question then is, because circumcision, we know from Genesis, was given as a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, a covenant is a sacred pact or promise that a sovereign, someone who's powerful, makes with someone who's lesser. And so in this case, God, the powerful one, what we call a sovereign, makes a sacred pact with Abraham. And he says, I'm going to give you this land— I'm going to give you a promised land that you, don't know, that you don't know yet. I want you to go out into this promised land that I'm going to give you, and I'm also going to make you into a great nation. 
Okay, that's the promise. And the sign that he tells Abraham about that, and it's actually 24 years into his journey that he receives the sign, but the sign that he says that you, that's gonna, that is a sign of this pact is circumcision. Okay, and so the reason Paul's making a big deal out, deal out of this is circumcision as a symbol represents all these different things about what it means to be Jewish. Okay, being Jewish means being circumcised. It's, it's as important, let's say, in Chinese culture as food and speaking Chinese. Like food is super, super important in Chinese culture. Like your ability to eat all kinds of food is super important and your ability to speak Chinese. Oh, and probably like your ability to save money. Like those three things are probably the most important things about being Chinese, right? But for Jews, it's about being circumcised and maybe saving money too. But you know what I mean? So it's Jews is about being circumcised. So that's the idea of what it means to be an ethnic Jew. Okay, is circumcision represented it? And so the question that Paul is then asking, because he's addressing two groups of people, is then what about the uncircumcised? What do you do for those who are not circumcised? And so Abraham, and this is where we need to go back in to um, Genesis to look at Abraham's life. And so I'm not going to have the verses up here, but I think it's really important. If the Bible references someone, it is helpful to go back and look at that person's life, especially in the case of, in this case, Abraham. Okay, so the journey with Abraham starts with Terah, who was Abraham's dad, who was supposed to get to Canaan, but he doesn't make it there. And so Abraham is continuing a journey that his father didn't finish. And Genesis 12:4 tells us that Abraham was 75 years old when he's left his hometown of Haran to go to Canaan. And in Genesis 15, Abraham is hurting because he gets the call in Genesis 12. And then a number of years later, Abraham is hurting because it's been maybe 10 years since he's left Haran. And he's like, dude, God, I still have no kids. Where is this great nation that you're talking about? And he's like 82. And God takes Abraham outside at night and says, look up at the stars. And those are your descendants. As numerous as the stars are, those are your descendants. Because at that time, at 82, actually at, back when he was 75, um, Sarah was barren. So they had no children. And at 82, they were still were barren. And he's talking about other relatives who have children, and he still doesn't have kids. And then maybe three years later, at the impulse of Sarah, Abraham sleeps with his maidservant, Hagar, and has a kid when he's 86. And then, 13 years after that, he finally has a child through his wife, Sarah. So it's been 24 years, about 24, 25 years that he has walked with God, and at that point is he circumcised. Okay, and what's my point? What's my point there? Well, Paul's point in this section is that Abraham walks with God in faith for 24 years before he's circumcised. And so what that means is it's Abraham's faith that's important. It's Abraham's faith that's important. And to be a descendant of Abraham isn't about what happens, you know, down there. Okay. It's not about anything that happens down there. It's actually what happens in your heart. It's what happens inside. That's what Paul's point is. And that's what unites Jew and Gentile. It's what, what happens inside you. It's what it means to have an immigrant faith. Okay, and then, in, and then it's Genesis 17, 24, where God makes that covenant with Abraham and has him go through circumcision. Okay, I'm gonna keep reading. This is Romans 4, 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay, so we're going to pause there. There is an important word 
in the book of Romans, and that is faith. Okay, that's a super important. It's important through all the Bible, but it's especially important in the book of Romans. And so whenever you encounter a key term in the Bible, it's always good to pause for a second and go, okay, well, I'm not exactly sure what this means. And you may have an idea of what it means, but I think it's, it's important to kind of pause and go, well, what does the rest of this passage help me in understanding what the term faith means? Okay, what's the rest of the passage tell me in terms of what faith means? Well, if you read this section, why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. Okay, so faith and grace have something to do with each other. And what we talked about grace is kind of, it's kind of like a power that's received as a gift. Okay, and if you have faith, you get power that's received as a gift. And then it says, may be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, that's Jews, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, that's Romans, that's Greeks, who was the father of us all. And then in verse 17, it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He's talking about Abraham and the presence of God in whom he believed, Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And then it also says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. Okay, so what is faith then? It's not performing to a religious standard. We know it's not works. It's not being a good person. That's not what faith is. He says that explicitly. It's not about works. Maybe rest on grace and not by following the law, by any rules or regulations. So what is faith? Now here's my definition based on what this passage is saying. What faith is, is that it is a persistent trust in a person to fill, fulfill a promise on your behalf. Okay, let me, read that one more, let me say that one more time. It is a persistent trust in a person to fulfill a promise on your behalf. Okay, now how do I get that from this passage? Well, it says, he believed in verse 17 in this God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not get that do not exist. See, Abraham gave, uh, God gave Abraham a specific promise that he's going to have two things. One, become a great nation. And then number two, receive this land. <clears throat> and the first promise he didn't get till 24 years in. And the second promise he actually doesn't fully receive in his lifetime. Okay, it's the people that actually fully receive it. And so that's the promise that God gives. And so when we talk about faith, especially in the biblical sense, it's having this persistent trust in God's promises. Okay, and if I had to describe what it means for us as Christians, it is a persistent trust for God to give us new life and to call sinners forgiven and holy. To call things that do not exist. To call something into being that does not exist. That's what it means to be a Christian. It is to have that persistent trust in God to keep his promises regarding new life for us and that even though we look like sinners, even though we may behave like sinners, we are forgiven and holy because he calls into existence things that which do not exist. And so when people say something like, you know, have faith, okay, you just need to have faith, that is meaningless in a biblical sense, okay, because faith is involves a person. You have faith in a person. And that person is not you because faith is always external. It's always looking off to someone else. Okay, so when, it says, when people say have faith, that's like, it doesn't mean anything, right? Then people say, well, well it's just have faith in that person. It, it's, that's, that's a starting point. But again, it's something specific that that person promises that you are trusting. And that's what Abraham had. 
okay? And by the way, he didn't have much, okay? He had no um, Ten Commandments. He didn't have much to go on. All he had was the promise of God, and that was enough, and that was enough, okay? Um, and so let's, let's then examine some metaphors for what faith means. Like in verse 18, it says, in hope he believed against hope. What does that mean? He had no evidence that God was going to make, was going to open up Sarah's womb. And how do I know that? Well, it says that he should become the father of many nations as, as um, he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. <laughs> Paul does not mince words. He's like, if you're, if you're 99, you're as good as dead. That's what he's saying. Okay. Um, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, right? Because what he's saying is God gives life to the dead. And this guy who's 99 can be given life. And this, his wife, I think Sarah was 90, could be given life also. That womb could be given life. And even though there was no evidence to it, there was no evidence that this would happen, God can call into being that which does not exist. That was Abraham's faith. Then it says, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, why do I say, I use the word persistent in my definition. In verse 20, it says, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he, do, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. <clears throat> what Abraham does for 24 years is he just wanders around trusting the promise of God. And let me give you some summaries of what, what some of the things he does, okay? Um, he, he wanders around, he builds altars, he experiences famine and goes to Egypt, lies about his wife being his sister, lets his nephew Lot take the better looking part of the land, rescues his nephew when he gets captured, has a child by his servant girl, his wife's idea, not his, welcomes angels into his home, talks to God about rescuing his nephew again, wanders around doing stuff, doing what he thinks is right, doesn't have any kind of code, but he's just kind of going around doing things and trusting God in the process. Okay. Now we have a little more instruction today because we have a Bible. And yet what Paul is saying is the life of faith is kind of like wandering around. It's kind of like wandering around, believing the promises of God. And so let me come back to my earlier example. Because the best metaphor I can come up with, you know, regarding Abraham and what it's like to have faith is um, going backpacking. Okay, it's going backpacking. So I have to use an out, out I'm, I apologize for those non-outdoor people. I'm going to use an outdoor illustration. And I recently went backpacking. I think last year I went backpacking. And nowadays backpacking is just kind of different because you can now download everything on all trails and you can basically never get lost. Like it really, it takes, like you have to be pretty good to be able to get lost, okay? Um, but somehow for this trip, I had just forgotten to download everything onto all trails and I didn't want to use my GPS. But I still had a trail map. Abraham didn't have a trail map, okay? And so just being me, um, it's my friend Tim and I, we're going around Hetch Hetchy in Yosemite, it's beautiful. Um, we get lost, okay? We lose the trail. And that's actually pretty inevitable. I actually get, I'm kind of used to getting lost. Um, and we were lost for about half an hour or so. Okay, but I didn't panic because I'm like, you know what? I have a basic idea of where we're going. There's a water source, there's plenty of daylight, and I'm with my friend Tim. And Tim, um, Tim does navigation. Like, it's not, he doesn't do nav outdoor navigation, does lung navigation, but anyways, it's navigation. Um, so I was like, you know what? I, I, trust, I trust that he knows where he's going and that we will, we will get to where we need to go eventually. Okay, because you know what? The point of a backpacking trip is just kind of like to wander around. What's happening? <laughs> The point of a backpacking trip is to wander around, 
Um, and so to be able to do that, I think, is, is, is kind of an important aspect of what, uh, of what it means to wander around in faith where you realize the journey is not so much about the destination, right? The journey is not about necessarily getting there. The journey is, is trusting the promise of God as you go through. And so um, how does this relate to us? Well, actually, before I do that, let me give one more metaphor for the non-outdoor people, okay? Um, and maybe this will be insulting, but, you know, I'm going to do my best. Um, what another metaphor I have for what it means to wander in faith is the way, like, my wife shops, the way she goes shopping, okay? And when I say go shopping, I don't mean, I don't mean like, go shopping in terms of, like, you have this, like, very definite objective of what you want. What I mean is to go shopping in the most delightful sense of the word, where she just goes around a store, and she just notices everything that's happening, and she just believes that there's a gift for her in that store, Okay, she just trusts there's, some, there's something there that, sh and she's just appreciating everything that's happening, okay? Whereas when I go into a store, I have a very clear objective. I have rules and regulations for what I want to find, and if I don't find them, it's a failure. And I have also a very, you know, limited set of time in order to accomplish that objective, right? Whereas the way my wife approaches shopping is it's like, it's a gradual process of enjoying the journey, okay? And that's what the life of faith looks like, where you're trusting God that he has a gift for you, that he has a promise for you. That's what it means. And you don't need a GPS because you don't need an ETA. There is no defined time which you get there. There's no rule or regulations that you need to follow. You are just trusting the promise of God that he has a gift for you. And that is that you are a new creation and you are forgiven and holy, even if you don't see the outward evidence of that. And so our sharing prompt today, because we have an open mic sharing as part of every service, is how have you experienced a deeper trust in God's promises? How have you experienced a deeper trust in God's promises? And I want to be really explicit here, is I'm not asking necessarily how God has, has fulfilled his promise, because he may have, and that's fantastic, right? But you know, Abraham, in the first 24 years of him wandering, like 75 to 99, didn't see a lot of, some evidence, but he didn't see actually direct evidence of those promises being fulfilled. He definitely experienced blessing, but he experienced this deeper trust in God's promises, okay? And that's my question for you guys. How has God, how has God, how are you deepening your trust in that? Because even the face of the broken world, God can expand and grow our faith. And so let me share one last example of how God has done that in my own life. Oh, and by the way, let me point you to a verse in Romans that, that talks about walking in the footsteps of his faith. This is verse 17. For, I'm not 17, um, I think it's 12. 12, thank you. 412. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely cir circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Okay, walk in the footsteps of the faith. So what that means is what God values is not a particular ritual or rule that you follow. What God values is this persistent trust that Abraham in wandering around the land of Canaan had. And what he's saying is we get to do the same. We get to wander around in the footsteps of Abraham, in the footsteps of his same faith. Maybe not you know, the exact physical location, but we get to wander around in the same kind of way. And so I've been thinking in my own life about um, progress. Okay, I'm 47, almost 48. 
Um, and I've been a Christian for like 35 years, right? I've been a Christian for a long time. And at the beginning of my Christian life, especially when I was in college, I had this idea that if I followed a certain set of like spiritual rules, like reading the Bible, like praying, like going to church, like doing all those different things, there would be an ETA in terms of my arrival as a Christian. Like I would experience a certain progress in my life, particularly freedom from anxiety. Like I would be a much calmer person. And I was talking to my parents recently. I was talking to my mom about it um, because I kind of, think my anxiety came from her. Um, and she, actually, she, she's, yeah, she's fine. You can, you can, she's, she has no problem. I, I pick up my dad all the time. I'm picking my mom. Um, I pick up my mom about that. I, th- I think a lot of my anxiety comes from her. And I, I know a lot of um, her sisters have a lot of anxiety. Actually, they had a whole side of the family, like super, super anxious. And I'm like, but man, my ETA on anxiety is like going to be good. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get over this, right? When I'm in my forties, I'm going to be super calm. Um, I'm like a really anxious person. I continue to be. And the last three years have only confirmed that. Like, there was, a, you know, three weeks ago when I was just, like, in a mad sweat when I was up here. I thought I would be over that, like, 10 years ago, like, 15 years ago. That hasn't happened. You know, that hasn't happened. And I look at Abraham's life, and you know what? I bet you, I think his whole life he had all kinds of issues, okay? But what character his, characterized his life was this persistent faith in the promises of God, even though he couldn't see the evidence of it. And so what I hope you experience in your own life maybe isn't the kind of progress, the kind of ETA that you're expecting because you followed some kind of spiritual rule or law. But this persistent trust in the promise of God that I'm a new creation and that I have been called forgiven and holy because of what Jesus did for me. And that's what Romans 4 is about. It doesn't matter if you've been circumcised or not. It's you follow in the footsteps of Abraham's faith to wander and believe the promises of God. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this faith that you have given us. Thank you for the promise of God that you gave to Abraham, that you would make him into a great nation, that you would give him tremendous land. And thank you for his faith that is a model for us. And that though the Bible does indeed contain ways in which we should live, ultimately the way that we interact with you is through faith, this persistent trust that you keep your promises in our behalf. And those promises you have revealed through your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. And that because of him, we can receive new life, that we have been forgiven and been made holy by him. We've been declared innocent, righteous, because of what he's accomplished for us. So Lord, we accept this invite to the party that no one can boast about, not in any worldly or fleshly way, not in any superior way, but we celebrate that we get to be invited to the party and we trust and walk with faith in you as we wander around in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.